morning and welcome to Tobin Talks. I'm your host, Tina Hove. Today, we've got Kristen Smith, Vice President Advocacy at the University of Manitoba Student Union and Rimbai Guru, Vice President Advocacy at the Black Students Union at the University of Manitoba. How are you guys doing? Oh, doing well. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for inviting us, Tino. Yeah. yeah great to have us. Thank you. Nice to finally have you on, Kristen. I'm trying to get you on the show for a while. <laughs> yeah, no, my schedule opened up. I'm not in the UMSU elections this year, so this is kind of my last hurrah. <laughs> for sure, cool. So the, the purpose of the conversation is to talk about uh, international student health care with, with COVID happening and the vaccine coming out. I feel this is a very important topic so that people know what's being done um, on their behalf in terms of advocacy. Um, so Kristen, why don't you first give us a backstory on what's been done previously, because I know that healthcare has been an ongoing issue for international students at the University of Manitoba. Yeah, for sure. So our fight, I don't like to use the word fight, but essentially our fight with the province on international student healthcare sort of began in 2018 when Pallister's government came in and said, look, we're going to take international students off of public health care. We're forcing everybody onto private plans. Uh, when they did that, I'll sort of be transparent. I wasn't on UMSU, so this is sort of what I was seeing, in, you know, as my experience as a student, and then being briefed on it coming into my role this year. Uh, but bottom line, it was sort of revealed that in doing so, the province would save around $3.1 million. And of course, what it meant for international students was um, private insurance, which is a whole load of fun. Um, not <laughs> incredibly expensive. So yeah. when the private insurance first, I guess, started. Um, mm -hmm. It was expensive, but more manageable than it is now. Um, mm -hmm. MIT, so the Manitoba International Student Health Plan, now sits at around uh, just under $1,000, and it probably will go up every year. So mm -hmm. that's obviously a massive cost on the backs of international students at the University of Manitoba, and of course, similar plans that are offered to other students. Mumbai could probably speak to what that um, mm -hmm. sort of burden is uh, from an international student experience. But mm -hmm. either way, uh, our advocacy has basically proceeded as follows. Mm -hmm. uh, before I was with UMSU, the reaction of the team was, okay, this has to be fully restored. And I'm actually a huge proponent of that. I believe international mm -hmm. students in Canada, in Manitoba, should have access to our provincial healthcare system for free. Mm -hmm. They're a very mm -hmm. unique subset of the population, bring a lot of value to our economy mm -hmm. and to our culture. Um, I, I think it should be free. So that is what the uh, sort of approach was of the first group of um, Sioux executives. What was found, of course, was that when you spoke to the provincial government about this, you sort of got eyes glazing over. Um, <laughs> clearly, they were not going to fully restore international student health care. So then the strategy sort of switched to be about, okay, we have students who cannot afford to be here, who are struggling right here, right now. What can we advocate for that is going to make their life easier if we can't get full restoration, at least right now? So mm -hmm. what we ended up advocating for uh, and what we still advocate for through MAPS, the Manitoba Alliance of Post-Secondary Students, is to have the province adopt a cost-neutral buy-in option. So mm -hmm. basically, students could buy into the provincial health care system at a rate that is more than 50% off of the private insurance rates. Um, mm -hmm. So if private insurance is like a thousand bucks, this would sit at around 350, which is, of course, mm -hmm. more affordable. Again, not ideal, but certainly helpful to students who are only here for a couple of years and need those savings. Mm -hmm. Cool. Awesome. 
And have you heard anything from province? Yeah, so I think that we're getting a little bit more interest, so to speak, with this cost-neutral buy-in option. So mm -hmm. we've met with a number of actors. So MAPS ran our provincial lobby week in November, speaking mm -hmm. to, of course, the opposition, liberals and NDP, who are all for this. The NDP actually sort of told us they wouldn't get behind our ask because they are more so interested in advocating for free healthcare, which, I mean, that's fair. That's their prerogative. Uh, when we speak to the conservatives who hold a little bit more power, they are very interested in this cost-neutral buy-in option, uh, so much so that Minister Fielding, Minister of Finance here in the province of Manitoba, asked us to submit a costing and implementation proposal for this ask and a number of others to really build out how this might look in a budget. Uh, I kind of feel like that's their job, but nonetheless, we did. <laughs> and... Um, Minister Fielding asked the right questions a couple weeks ago. I'm hopeful that this might show up in a budget very soon. But regardless, I, I think that student mobilization will be key to that equation. So we hope to run some campaigns to get student voices uh, out there and speaking to the government probably in the next couple weeks. So look out for that. For sure. Mumbai, have you had any conversations with students regarding like this particular issue of healthcare? Have you have you had kind of what their asks are or what their burdens are going in going into this so far at all? Um, so I actually have uh I have been talking to one of my community reps who is the international student rep, and <laughs> they just recently gave me feedback about um the whole healthcare situation. Um, particularly pertaining to the vaccine. And um, as we all know, it's not something that international students are particularly happy about. And the biggest thing that they kind of brought forward was more of the stats that was there um, saying, hey, look here, um, as international students were bringing in so much revenue um, to the into the country um and how is that gonna work out uh, it's only fair so it's something that they've honestly um would appreciate if there was communication um to know like hey we're working on it because as of now it just seems like they're in the pits no one is there to really show like no there's actually something being done behind the you know behind closed doors um but as of now, it's definitely something that still people are amiss about and would really want that, um, you know, comfort from the higher people up. So, yeah. Cool. Um, now, in terms of the vaccine, now, I'm not sure about this. Christian, would you know? So the vaccine is covered under healthcare, correct? If you're getting vaccinated for COVID. Yeah, so, so far as I know, um, I mean, I'll be transparent about it. I work part-time as a healthcare worker at a COVID test site, so I've actually been vaccinated, and there was absolutely no cost associated with that. Um, okay. Both are free, seems to be covered by healthcare. Um, I certainly have opinions about how international students should be treated under that system, which is equally. Um, <laughs> I mean, if you're be here for education and you're stuck in this country, um, yeah. and there's a little pandemic raging on, I mean, hello. It seems yeah. that you can be a candidate for this vaccine at, at mm -hmm. no cost. <laughs> yeah, which which is interesting because, and the reason I, I bring that up is because I believe that international students uh, through the University of Manitoba are only covered on healthcare if they're in class, if they're in classes, mm -hmm. right? Um, mm -hmm. With the exception of summer, which spills over like into summer. Right? Mm -hmm. However, 
um, a lot of international students, and Mumbai, you can speak to this, a lot of international students actually end up taking semesters off so mm. that they can pay their tuition, which is like three times as expensive, right? right. Uh, which goes against the, the narrative that international students have the money. So if international students are taking semesters off school, it means they semesters that international students actually don't have healthcare, right? Mm. And if they don't have healthcare in the semester such as this, that's, you know, which is understandable for them not to be in school right now because of the global pandemic. So many people being laid off, a lot of them don't have sources of income that are as reliable anymore. So, so that's, that's something that can be ex expected to, to see on the rise. During a global pandemic, a vaccine only works if everyone has it. <laughs> there you go, yeah. Hallelujah. Right. Right. Um, is has there has there been any discussion or conversation of what's hap what's going to happen to, in, to to those students who can't afford the vaccine and impact on either side? Like Mumbai, you can speak to any students you know who aren't in school, or Chris, and you can speak to any conversations you've had, um, whichever one of you wants to, wants to go. I feel like I've owned a lot. I mean, I've been talking a good deal. I might ask Mumbai to comment first. Okay. So just to kind of um, so particularly the idea of how students have the uh, take the summer off to pay off to um, their tuition or if you're not in school and you're you know you're uh, if you're not a full-time student you don't have the health care um, covered as well we recently had a situation where we had an international student particularly who was black um, who wasn't able who acquired um, a lot of expenses due to um, an illness that he had and the bills went out of the roof and he was just reaching out with the family um, to see if they could do anything and in that particular moment because we're international students we couldn't do anything as um, much at all and when we did reach out apparently he wasn't taking enough classes or because he had taken the summer off he wasn't able to get that covered as well um it's definitely disheartening for sure uh again my answer is always going to be there should be some type of compensation or a fund that's put together um for for such instances when such issues arise or fundraisers that are put in place for such instances, if they're to arise um, or occur at all. Uh, Kristen, just on that, are there resources for students in that in that predicament? Because I heard about the case as well. Um, he was very ill and he, he, like, I think the bill was like, like, $91,000 or, $91, or yeah. something, right? And, yeah. and that's astronomical. Oh, <laughs> right. I, I couldn't even imagine. Yeah, I mean, in terms of resources, um, so, I think it's been depleted by now, but we asked for it again and also it to be increased. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the International Student Hardship Relief Fund that the university um, sort of actually funds. So this isn't an UMSU program, but it's a program the university sets up uh, well, that I, I mean, I don't want to pat ourselves on the back, but it's sort of direct result of UMSU advocacy. So the International Student Hardship Fund first came into being when international student health care was cut. I think it was the first or second year where students were facing that. It was 
supplied with $500,000 worth of funds available to help students pay for unforeseen healthcare costs or any other type of hardship. In COVID-19, when that hit, that fund uh, was sort of replenished by the work of uh, previous UMSU executives and then rolled over not only for healthcare purposes, but general hardship. Um, and in our budget submission to the university this year, UMSU has asked for that fund to exist again, but also be increased to $600,000. Um, I mean, just in, in light of the fact that we don't know what's going to happen with vaccine distribution, we can be proactive with speaking to government about that. But I think our university should also be providing those resources, uh, financial resources, to make sure students aren't falling through the cracks. I mean, of course, it's a smaller scale uh, assistance program, but the UMSU Hardship Fund would absolutely uh, be of service to students who are facing some of those costs. The only thing the UMSU Hardship Fund can't assist with is direct tuition payments. So anyone suffering in the way that has just been described would certainly be a candidate. For sure, for sure. Um, that That's interesting to hear. Um, Mumbai, do you know how well known these resources are in the international student community? Mm, I just wrote it down. I had no idea they existed at all. Wow. Mm -hmm. So yeah. so that kind of speaks to to the work of getting in information distributed, right? I found that a lot of um, information that seems readily available for some students is not readily available for international students, right? So mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. So it's and once once again, this is just from from my experience. It's it's easy for um, a Canadian student to go looking for them because contextually, um, they live in a world where these things exist, just con in context, right? Whereas an international student's context of coming is a world where those things don't exist. Most international students, contrary to popular belief, <laughs> are actually coming from um, developing nations right where such resources aren't available so they you can't look for what you do not know exists mm. you know what i mean so what what's being done and this is for both both Mumbai and Kristen, because i feel like Mumbai, a part of your role as well is to spread information um on on actions like this so what's being done to spread to spread this information where can students find these resources where can they find the info like where where is this right like what's mm -hmm. what's what's happening with the communication of, of information. I mean, I'll, I'll speak first from UMSU's side. So the UMSU Hardship Fund is something that we've always sort of, uh, well, I don't work on the communication side, and it's good to hear that feedback from the both of you that there's clearly gaps in the communication, but we've always made the effort to help students understand when there's a new subsidy or there's a, or there's a hardship fund available. So um, when the transit subsidy came around, we advertised that, and we advertised on our website and through our Instagram, uh, so far as I know, that there are uh, these funds that you can apply for. When it comes to university-based funds, uh, UMSU, of course, puts out notices that these are available, probably misses a good degree of students. I know... Um, you know, not all students frequent social media and whatnot. Perhaps there could be different strategies used to, to reach students. But I think perhaps um, UMSU, hear, hearing what's been said today, has put a little bit too much trust in specifically the university and the International Student Center. Um, we sort of always thought that the university and specifically the International Student Center had a direct line to international students. So when they said, oh, we're, we're promoting this, I sort of said, oh, great, they're probably doing it better than we ever could. And clearly that's just not the case. So I think that going into a new term with the UMSU executive, looking at where the gaps in communication are, is going to be huge. I mean, I, I'm, I'm shocked to hear what I've heard today. Yeah. 
Rumbai, what's been your experience dealing with? So number one, we'll start off with the first question of, you know, what what are some strategies that, that are going to be implemented just to help students find this information? And we'll go into what uh, your experience has been with students trying to get information from the university um, or or just generally to get information. Because I know personally the information that I've gotten has, has been sought out <laughs> very intentionally by myself as an international student. Okay, um, I honestly believe that a starting point would be um, making points of contact. That's definitely something that I lacked um, starting my term, making contact with the international students um, board and all those other people and Kristen as well mm -hmm. to kind of get the information and have meetings where this is um, talked about and all these resources are explained and being able to, you know, um, being able to then go out to my community and explaining these resources, um, mm -hmm. that being maybe holding meetings where such, mm -hmm. such things are discussed on a regular basis and constantly said in the group chats we have and all the other resources that we have. Um, and particularly, uh, it'll be definitely a big, bigger task for the international students community rep as well um, for our committee to do. And um, for, yeah. what was your next follow-up question? Actually, before we get to that, Kristen, did you have something to add on that? Yeah, I was just thinking as Vimbai was speaking, I think that's a place maybe Umsu hasn't completely taken advantage of or leveraged is the power of our student clubs um, and student associations and community groups. So again, I'm not the VP student life and there's been a number of challenges in uh, all the portfolios at Umsu, but I'm just thinking, I mean, if you if we look at the greatest international student populations, uh, mm -hmm. perhaps partner with, uh, for example, Bangladeshi Students Association, Nigerian Students Association, Iranian Students Association. I mean, the, the, the associations go on and on, yeah. but those groups tend to have, from my experience, a very tightly knit sense of community. And I think that they would be keen to share these resources. And I think that might be an area where, where AMSU ha has lacked in communication, not reaching out to the leaders of those communities and trying to do it all ourselves or with the university. So yeah, I'm just brainstorming, thinking out loud. That might be a, a good thing to come away with. Yeah, no, for sure. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, smaller community groups are definitely a way to get information out there. And what worries me is when the leaders of these smaller community groups are actually not leading their communities, right? So if, if I was, you know, leading the Zimbabwean Students Association, if it still exists, uh, <laughs> I would, I, 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 I would go on the forefront of trying to get these resources out there, right? Um, which, which is important. Um, my second question was, but Tina, just to kind of sorry, yeah, just, go on. Don't mean to cut you off. Um, yeah, no, please, please cut me off. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, from my experience as somebody who's leading a group or who's part of an exec team. It's been particularly pertaining to the Black History Month that we kind of had. Communication between AMSU and us was very vague. Um, so there wasn't enough communication where I'm comfortable to a certain extent to sit down and 
and, and have such discussions, you know, I, I, it's not as easy as it would be if I was just to be like, hey, Kristen, I'm just gonna, you know, walk through. It might seem easy. And it's just a random example of giving. But again, it would, I feel like it goes both ways, like you're saying, like, it, it's mm-hmm. just a matter of, Honestly, from my point of view, if it's a matter of before the start of the school year, after all execs are announced from student clubs and AMSU, it'll be good to have conversations, like get everybody together. That's how you get work done. Simple Mm -hmm. things like that and simple steps will honestly go a long way, especially with the smaller um, groups that are on campus and getting people to be comfortable enough to be like, okay, look here, this is what's going on and this is what's happening. Yeah, yeah. it speaks to me too. Sorry, Tino, I mean, I'll, I'll keep it brief. I think it speaks to no, the importance of building a joint sense of accountability as well. Mm-hmm. Um, people feel, you know, put, put a face to a name. I, I think that when the pandemic first hit, like no one turned their cameras on. <laughs> <laughs> This is stupid, you know. I and I don't. I don't feel really any responsibility to this person, and they don't feel responsibility to me either. So I think adjusting to the COVID environment uh, to create that accountability, like Vimey mentioned, is going to be huge. Again, I kind of hearing these things. I wish you ran again so I could be part of it. But it's important to pass on to the next team and Vimey to you as well. Yeah. yeah. Speaking on that, Crystal, what's what's going on there? So um, what what's going on in my head is if uh, the whole exec is finding it hard to communicate with Amsu. What of the of the student who like just either just landed in Winnipeg is freezing, right? It's winter. Yeah. A, a first year student who's still trying to figure out why they how to select classes or you know like how how are they communicating with you? Like what's what's the student engagement looking like? Right. You know, what, I, you're, you, I wish that I had the members of my exec who deal with this stuff. I mean, you have the advocacy individual here. So I talk to uh, government and to campus administration and I do student mm-hmm. consultations through events every now and then or surveys or sort of just calls like that. So I'm not the, the, the main point person on uh, sort of communication strategy. That would be Tino Dogo. But nonetheless, um, what I've heard is that we've been relying heavily on sort of like Instagram DMs, uh, Facebook messages. I'm not sure if that's been successful or not. Perhaps it's a clutch. Uh, maybe social media isn't as powerful as we thought. Uh, but again, mm-hmm. I can't particularly comment on that. And I, I think Vimbai has raised her hand, so I'll, I'll yeah. defer to her. Um, so just talking about the whole situation, uh, I had a situation whereby I had to go pick up a friend beginning of the school year um, at the airport and they had to quarantine and stuff like that. Something that definitely was a miss to me was they had to be at school by a certain time. Now, that was like, whoa, we got there 10 minutes before the offices closed where they could get the information for their quarantine and they're being told, okay, just go there. Like, you're just going to figure it out. They don't have Wi-Fi passwords. They're supposed to quarantine for 14 days without Canadian numbers, without, like, they had to use my phone. Like, can you call? And one of them was having troubles signing up for classes. I had to call on their behalf. Like, hey, this is what's going on. Um, Can you set up a Zoom meeting? Because they don't, and they refused. They said, 
no, we can. We're only doing phone calls. And this person does not have a phone. They're in quarantine for 14 days. So COVID, like you're saying, has been, there are definitely gaps that are there that need to be adjusted a little bit. So I just kind of thought about it when Kristen was talking about something about that earlier on. Sure. Kristen, uh, VP advocacy. So these these seems like things that uh, being advocated for to the university. Like, why are you making these rules so stringent on, on students? But I guess in order for you to be able to advocate for it, someone has to tell you that the issue exists, you know, which goes, which goes back to the communication issue, right? Totally. I mean, yeah, I'm not an international student. So, for example, the case Vimbai just spoke about, that's the first time I heard of that particular issue. Um, when students are quarantining here in Manitoba, we're really pleased and we, you know, ask the university to ensure that there is some sort of financial support for when mm -hmm. students arrive here in Manitoba so they don't have to pay their whole stay at some sort of hotel. I think it's subsidized like up to 75%, yeah. which is good. So we knew that would be an issue. Another mm -hmm. issue that, that came up early in the year was the issue of time zones um, when, mm -hmm. when classes. So what we yeah. did was actually gave the university a plan that said, look, if you run for any exam, if you just run two, okay, <laughs> you, like you can capture the whole world comfortably. And they were like, mm, that's too much work on our faculty. Also academic freedom means that we can't tell faculty what to do. Sorry, we're, we're gonna have to turn this one down. I mean, I have the, the correspondence. I have the, you know, the document we submitted where we worked out how these time zones would play out and it just, there was just not a willingness to do that they thought that the population affected was too small and that professors were already facing too much so i mean sometimes you try sometimes you fail <laughs> is this interesting information is this information available to the general student population oh the time zones proposal i presented to the umsu board of directors so they have all seen it um i don't think we've publicized the proposal itself no and of course, we didn't put out a press release about this because, I mean, there was, <laughs> wasn't was a whole lot that happened. So, mm. I mean, I, I'm happy to share that with, with anyone on the call. So, by yeah. all means, no. <laughs> well, one one thing that I would say would be an important thing uh, that, you know, moving forward that the AMSU exec should do. So, for instance, um, I work with the Manitoba and Weather Student newspaper. Um, issues such as that, as new students need to know, new students, if students knew, that the university refused to accommodate them, it would make advocacy a lot, advocacy is strong in numbers, right? Mm -hmm. it, would, it would make it a lot, a lot easier, right? To, to advocate for it, right? But right. We're, just, we're just about to hit time here. I just wanted to touch briefly on, you know, what resources are available for students who are trying to get the vaccine? Um, any Anything you guys wanted to say about that or anything we've spoken about on the call? Um, I'll start with Mbai, then go to Kristen. Um, Kristen can go ahead first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kristen then go with sure thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for, for years, one of UMSU, I mean, international student advocacy and advocacy on behalf of international students depends on a number of things. It's, it's first and foremost about elevating um, voices who themselves are international students, right? Like I'm not an international student. I can try my absolute best to consult the community and have conversations like this. But ultimately, I think that uh, what we need to do is empower international students to also, um, I guess, what would be the term? Um, participate in this advocacy. And I think that what Vimbai mentioned earlier, sort of the barriers to entry, so to speak, or mm -hmm. what might 
make Amsu seem like this sort of like ivory tower-esque organization needs to needs to be broken down. So first and foremost, advocacy on behalf of international students should be uh, led at least in partnership with international students. So mm -hmm. I think that's we can work on. Um, yeah. Over the past couple of years, we've been focusing on the cost of healthcare. And I mm -hmm. think that something like COVID-19, uh, sort of what's covered and, and the cost of vaccines is going to be the next big issue. In addition to a number of interesting topics that we have to face on our campus, uh, sort of on our campuses. So it'll be a big task for the next exec. I'm here for two more months. Certainly the, yeah. the job doesn't stop when you have a couple of weeks left. So <laughs> I look forward to speaking to you guys a whole lot more over the next couple of weeks and transitioning the next team to be able to face those issues better than I have. <laughs> For sure. Uh, any closing thoughts? Um, yeah, so honestly, it's it was a very um, eye-opening conversation. Uh, I definitely did learn a lot. And now having this conversation and kind of understanding where Kristen also comes from um, I can easily go back to my team and let them know that, hey, this is what's going on. And with all these resources that have been mentioned, we'll definitely be able to spread the word as well. So, yeah. Cool. Thank you both for coming on the show. I feel like this was a very helpful and informative episode. Um, we look forward to speaking to the incoming executive on what their plans are to, you know, deal with these issues as well. And uh, it's been great. And that's all for this week's episode of Tobin Talks.